0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you and maybe a few listeners, new listeners, to the September 5, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Well, House Resolution 3591 and Senate Resolution 1615 are remedies pertaining to 800,000 on DACA status. That's 200,000 in California. I'm not picking up on most outlets, but uh, help yourselves in tracking that. Today, Monica Kurka, this time bringing their Refugees Welcome Guide fresh off the press, a beautiful and remarkable piece of work. For those unaware of what refugees are enduring, each section of the guide is pause for thought among we who are already settled. In the second half, Dr. Jian Peng, chief of water quality planning at Orange County Public Works Environmental Resources from his agency's low impact development toolkit will explain some elegant solutions for purifying stormwater and using it for groundwater recharge. Not quite the tool for hurricane downpours, but effective in our Southern California climate. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My first guest is activist of the local chapter of Refugees Welcome, advancing the cause of refugees of all types and backgrounds from all around the world. Monica Kurka herself is a formerly a refugee, paying it forward in spades. and She returns to the show to present her latest feat, the Refugees Welcome Guide. You may have heard her previous bio, but it begs to be repeated. Originally from Romania, Monica Curca is a communications strategist. She could probably help me do the show a heck of a lot better, and a social entrepreneur applying new media and digital technology toward social change. She is a principal and co-founder of the Refugees Welcome Guidebook and the, the charter here. Her speaking circuit includes workshops at conferences such as Learn, Do, Share LA, United Methodist Communications Changemakers Conference, and the Peace Build at MIT, UCI, UCLA, USC, and Occidental College. She's worked for United Methodist Charity on Relief, the Center for Citizen Peace Building at the University of California, Irvine, that's here, UCI, and the Center for Civil Society and Democracy in Syria, with policymakers around the world and with the most marginalized communities in Chiapas, Mexico, women activists in Syria or at risk
1: urban youth there's one more uh, affiliation we yes we've just launched activate labs And it's now where the guidebook is housed under, um, along with the Arab American Civic Council. Okay, thank you, Monica. She's a a BUM
0: Media Fellow with the Opportunity Collaborative and a 2016 Women's Policy Institute Fellow. Currently, she works with the endowment as the lead communications consult for the Santa Ana Building Healthy Communities Initiative and is the National Outreach Coordinator for Alternatives to Violence USA. She completed two count them, bachelor's degrees in anthropology (laughs) and intercultural studies, with a minor in Middle Eastern studies, and later two masters from the Heller School for Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University, and in sustainable international development and conflict and coexistence. She is here today principally to talk about the Refugees Welcome Guide, taking stock of what we all take for granted. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Monica Kvorka. Thank you. It's good to have you back. Congratulations to you and Rashad on an ambitious, a remarkable project. This guide, as read and filled in, because there's a whole calendar at the end (laughs) that families can complete to chart what they need to do and what's coming, it becomes this particular guide it becomes i think as essential and important as government issued identification so tell us monica about the scope both geographic and programmatically that you're capturing in this guide
1: right so this guide is actually to be scaled and so yes of course right now it is for the greater la area which means the five counties the orange county la county san bernardino four counties san bernardino and riverside county some of the things go up to Ventura and to San- Northern San Diego County. So it's, it just, um, is a greater LA, which is over 35 million people. Um, huge area of land. However, uh, we were just at the refugee, national refugee summit in San Diego last week presenting on, um, Wednesday and we presented the guidebook and we had people from Houston, from, uh, Austin, from Sacramento, from San Diego, from North Carolina that wanted the guidebook also.
0: So this is the first ever.
1: <clears throat> this is the first ever like this. Um, It's interesting that the California state uh, had just uh, also had a present presentation that they created a resource guide, refugee resource guide. And basically it was uh, all of the different websites that the state puts out under one roof. And so even they have something that's a little bit similar, but it's just their program. It's not even local resources. And so, Really the people working on on this issue, you know, they were we basically sold out the agencies like IRC and um IRIS and so many agencies that were. International Rescue Committee. Yeah, and the other one? International. Um I-I-F-C- it's the Episcopalian and then the Lutheran uh refugee services and Catholic charities. Um and these are national groups that wanted this in their communities. So Bravo. yes, here it's here. Um however the way we did it is that each section has an introduction about the section, and then it has local resources that refugees can access, and they are culturally sensitive. So this is for the scale of this, the scope of this is also for Arabic speakers. Yes, and it's in English and in Arabic. It's Yes, yeah, so it's completely bilingual, and it's really for Muslims or Christians. Um, and so we have sections like basic services that is for any refugee. Or anybody that's even on CalFresh, let's say that's somebody that gets uh, government assistance. And that section, you know, includes health and education and jobs and other ways of, of first 30 days.
0: Paperwork 101.
1: Yes, exactly. So it's the things you have to do within the first 30 days. Enroll your kids in school, social security card, all of these things. And then we have the next one is eat shop play. And uh, this is really a focus on affordable and and uh, fun things that refugees or um, and new new Americans, as we like to call them, can do. So it's restaurants, community fairs, events, dollar theaters, museums, and we kind of did go towards you know what's free and affordable.
0: The only omission, I have to say, for your next iteration is put radio in there
1: all right yeah totally <laughs> i yeah. was looking so i didn't
0: see it but i have to say that
1: uh, so what here the the interesting thing is this is all crowdsourced so all the different sections are th- are things that our community members I guess have our
0: crowd wasn't weighing in <laughs> yeah, okay. so exactly. okay, yeah so exactly so now
1: it has <laughs> and so we need your help to give us uh, that information because we don't know all of this we were more like project managers where right. we brought it all together and we did oh, create a lot so of the ambitious. content yes. but it's it's a it was a quite you know a feat for to do in a year and a half
0: absolutely absolutely well talk about the first 30 days so that we appreciate the urgency of resettling what you want to walk people through to some extent what do you call these plastic bound and half inch thick guide that lays out the first 30 days so i mean we just don't even think of what resettlement issues and i i guess sort of to be more pictorial about this is also we have to think refugees are bringing precious little, they don't have trunk after trunk coming with them. They're not caring very much. So adjusting and coping without maybe some kind of ephemera that can help ground them is m- another confounding factor we don't even give a thought to. Right. So how much like would they <clears throat> typically
1: do refugees bring along with them per person? I mean, my family, we had, you know, 11 children and two parents and we had, you know, I don't know if we had one trunk per person I mean, a lot happens in your heart. Well, so refugees, current refugees right now, whether they're climate refugees or war refugees, you know, they're, they they have both. to go through a UN, even, even in the 80s. But they have to go through the UN, which means they have to be in a camp to register. And so just coming into the camp, you're not carrying a lot of stuff. Yes. Um. So you lost okay. things there. And then you're in a camp. And then you are given limited supplies. Remember, refugees have to pay back their plane ticket. They pay oh, back everything. Yes.
0: It's the sum that was given. You talked
1: about that. Yeah, the, the exactly. So the then show. they're probably limited on how much they can bring, right? They're going to have to pay that back also. Okay. And so we, when, we, when we've when we picked up SIVs or refugees at the airport, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have more than three or four trunks or suitcases, I guess you would call them um, now, per family. So it's not a, a lot of things. And so, yeah, they need everything. We have refugee resettlement agencies and we have... Service providers that, like World Relief, for example, where they have their offices, two suites for offices and one suite that has good and supply. So they have welcome kits.
0: That's And those are on the house? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, a
1: lot so- of volunteers, that's one way to volunteer is to, to, to provide these things. Um, you know, of course, you know, refugees, They a lot of them don't flee poverty. And so they're fleeing um, war. And so some SIVs, which is special immigrant visa holders, which is what probably the more we're going to see they're from um, Afghanistan before they were coming from Iraq. Um, if we're going to ramp up more war in Afghanistan, we'll probably see a lot more SIVs now. Um, and that's a uh, McCain, I believe uh, passed the legislation so we can support those that have fought alongside our soldiers in um
0: or translator with it, but we, yeah. we, we digress though, but those are, we're going to be So they more come with more money, they right?
1: Come, they okay. were government contractors, but in the same- Quote,
0: air quote, more money.
1: Yeah. However, they, you know, getting a job in a field that they're, they know and can do is not really, um, you know, uh, conducive. It's not really possible. It's really difficult, I should say. And so what happens is um, they have to spend their cash. And so you know, imagine if you have thirty thousand dollars cash, how fast is that going to go here in Southern California, where rent is well, where two thousand? I
0: mean, that's in the the guidebook. Where does that money go? I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily that do they have a, a bank account or that right? But I mean, that's
1: I, in here. Yeah, yeah. The, the the those details. We do have financial services in here. Um, but then the first thirty days, basically, they arrive and then they are provided housing and food by the refugee resettlement agency. That comes with the, so the government. How it works, the federal department funds the governors and the governors have a certain number of, of money and right. each resettlement agency chooses how many refugees they can take in and then they're given a pot of money for each refugee. And so that's what that pays for. But that's not going to pay for more than a month of staying somewhere, right? So, I can't
0: even imagine all the expenses because yeah, exactly. they're starting
1: out from zero. But it's $2,000. It's less than $2,000 per person. Yeah. So it's it's nothing really.
0: So the first 30 days, is there something uh, you want to highlight? I mean, that's sort of kind of a track event. They're really zipping through here. Getting, yeah. so and they, have to, they have to nail it. They have to nail every event to make that,
1: yep. sort and, of
0: put that milestone behind them.
1: In 2007, I worked with the Iraqi family, and we basically, and I had a little baby, and we were going to the Social Security and going to the doctor and going this and going that. I mean, every day we had to go somewhere. Um And, you know, at the same time, they're supposed to go to English language classes. And at the same time, they're supposed to take um, uh, some cultural orientation. At the same time, they're supposed to get their medical and enroll their children in school. And I mean, everything's happening at the same time. It's really overwhelming. And at the same time, you have culture shock and you're kind of going through this phase. Well, at the beginning, I would say it's more of a honeymoon phase. But then after that, it really becomes... Uh, shocking and, and difficult to resettle here.
0: Okay, we'll open that up a little bit, but for those guests who, uh, j- those listeners who just joined us, Monica Kuerke here is in the studio with me, co-founder of the Southern California organization Refugees Welcome and co-project manager of the new Refugees Welcome Guide book that we're talking about, The Definitive Guide for Recently Arrived Refugees to LA, Orange County, Riverside, and San Bernardino County. So let's talk about that, that there are Traumatized by the conflict the, the catastrophe they left behind. And I'm not using the word tragedy. I don't know why people aren't moving off the dime. My listeners have heard this before. Catastrophe is what captures what these folks are going through. So they're they're processing trauma. They're experiencing a brand new culture, which it's this all that is confounding the cognitive process to get through all of this. So talk us through how your guidebook helps hold their hand to some extent there.
1: Right. So I'm not a psychologist, just to preface that. Right. Um, or psychiatrist. But um, I do peace building, and we learn a lot about trauma. And we work in a lot of trauma um, circumstances. And what happens uh, under stress is a lot of the cognitive uh, abilities, thinking clearly, making decisions, um unemotional decisions where you're, you're acting at the best, you know, the best possible and
0: remembering uh, what you've done and remembering what you you have to do.
1: Short-term memory. Exactly. Um, so all of that is, is going to be affected when you're resettling, uh, when you're coming to a new culture and not only that, when you're, leaving behind the things that you valued and that things that were important to you and that were kind of your foundation
0: that fed you sustained you right understood you
1: so family culture uh, values all of that you have to leave behind and really in a very literal way you know in america um, i was writing this section on uh, cultural that we have a uh, on american cultural val- values and you know we have things like individualism progress change, Mm. you know, and if you look back to, you know, where I'm from, you know, the older people are honored and respected, their stories are important, doing things the way your grandparents did, knowing that, knowing how to cook the way, you know, all of these things are valued. Well, here, progress and change are valued. And so you're literally denying the thing, the the thing. You're shoving the scaffold out from under them. Exactly. To, to progress, to survive, to integrate. And so it's, it's very traumatizing to leave so much of yourself behind You know, I always say that the journey of being a refugee is returning to ourselves, remembering who Mm. we are, remembering like what we left behind. That's something that is that sometimes the second generation doesn't grasp. Right. We they just run to being American and they don't um, hold on too tightly. Um, so there's a lot of uh, culture shock. Uh, there, there is in this section, there is in the resilient community. So we have a section called resilient communities. And we wanted to add that my primary work is around peace building. And while we can give people information and resources, if they are not taking transformative steps to really integrate, then all of this is just going through the motions. So for example, you know, family cohesion, that's a big issue. Family cohesion is broken up in refugee resettlement by, let's say, domestic violence. Right, where, where families uh, are, are under a lot of stress and they repeat the cycles of violence, maybe that they had at home or that is culturally acceptable in their country. And so there's very high levels of domestic violence. And of course, I mean, and, and a lot of women don't even know how to define it. And so we even start with just defining what is domestic violence. You know, what making decisions on your own. If somebody gets angry because you make a decision on your own, that's violence. Right. Um. If you're always under fear or threat of being yourself or what you wear, or what you do, or how you feed the children, that's not normal and that's not healthy. Um. But that's very normal in many many what circumstances. They bring. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so you're
0: unpackaging how that's going to be yeah. shuffled here. Yes.
1: Yeah, so we do family cohesion. We do changing roles. Right. So a lot of um. We have families that where the husbands are maybe injured, uh. From from birth or from the from the war in Syria, let's say, and so now the wife is taking a role of leadership. Or maybe the man was, um, you know, we have the SIVs that the men were security guards in jails, right? In in that housed uh, insurgents. Well, I mean, there's not so many jails that are going to hire them uh, at this point, right? They have to become sheriff's deputies. They have to do a lot more steps. So the women getting jobs is a lot easier. And so now we have women that are breadwinners, and we didn't have that before. Um, yes.
0: Right. No, oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. I, I, that, I was... There's a section in the suicide prevention that also talks about how the family's getting shuffled around. And I don't know if you wanted to read that paragraph sure. that you prepared for us. So it gives people an idea of how much the structure is reconsidered and, and all families are, being, are using this guide. So.
1: so actually I wanted to say the person that wrote this, so all of this was crowdsourced. So the person that wrote this, um, she wanted to remain anonymous, but oh. her, her, her son uh, um, committed suicide.
0: Oh, that's where that came and
1: from. And this is actually a gift that she has uh, wow. given to refugees: is how to go through this situation. So she says, you may encounter unique stress within your family. If you are a parent, you will have trouble advocating for your children in a strange culture and tongue. Your child may become a translator for you, changing the power balance in your relationship. You may have conflicts with your children over new and old cultural values. You may be uncomfortable with some of the customs. And Mores in your new country, you may not know your rights or be afraid of authority. You may not feel accepted by the people in your new community. Yeah. So that really also touches on microaggressions yes. and, you know, um, refugees feeling very uh, by little things um, as outsiders. Um, and so that that is something that's even hard to be tangible. But now you have to address it and then you have to address it in a time of crisis. So all of these are different steps that make it so hard um, for refugees to resettle. And then we didn't even add like mental illness. Um, there's there's a lot of stigma around m- mental illness. And you know uh, within you know the Arab American community or the Arab community or uh, even Romanian, when I you know we hear some person committed suicide or some person this happened or that happened. Well, you know that that is something that's happened before. This is a mental illness issue. It didn't just happen out of the blue. And that's where. Um, the stigma needs to really be addressed and, and dealt with early on.
0: Well, I had no idea of the background of that. Can we know where, what country this family is from?
1: Uh, the, the med- oh, so it's a Syrian family. It's a Syrian family. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Not yeah. to, I don't want to encroach anything. Oh, oh, this on-
1: family. No, I'm sorry. The suicide prevention. No, she was, um I believe she's Jewish, and she uh, lived in um, in Israel for a while. And so she actually was living in a kibbutz. And she saw the violence even of the kibbutz taking up land of Palestinians, and she left it. And now, um, I mean, I I think she'd probably be a little bit more, but she she actually advocates for Palestinian rights now.
0: So when you're laying out the structure here of the guide and what the refugees are processing, you talk about uh, that you have a lovely graphic that shows sort of the mood peaking at the beginning and then Mm -hmm. dropping. And and showing us that the two to six months in that first year are the most difficult, and you're trying to help with it's it's printed word, but with with various support that they're able to find. Talk about that two to six months and how
1: you came up with that that graphic. Where did that come from? Oh, so it's actually on the government on a USCIS website, okay. and it, and it's also very well known in culture work that there's about a, a six months uh, phase. That somebody will go through till they're emotionally integrated, not maybe physically. And so the honeymoon fa- you know, phase, everything's new, everything's exciting. And that's why it's, you know, when you're going on vacation. Exciting though. I can't think, not in a, it's, I mean, a so, so exciting way. It's got to be traumatic and sort of a
0: mixture of excitement. Well, the first Positive honeymoon negative, phase. Yeah, so yeah. the
1: honeymoon phase is really where things are um, new, right? So it's, it's, everything's novel. And so it's not very, uh, I would say, even like uh, traumatic. It really is. It's like traveling, I mean, it's right? The relief
0: of getting out of danger's way. Maybe that part. That also, but part. Yeah. But
1: you have to, you know, if you come from a refugee camp, and then you're coming to an apartment, yeah, that's not that's a that's a, a one it, up. There's right. the honeymoon into the hotel. Right, yeah. Okay. I mean, qu- quickly, quickly, you do get. You know, we've had families that are being resettled, and then they have, uh, you know, cockroaches in their apartment you know, when they're trying to find a place and then they realize that the only place they can get is a uh, is a cockroach infested place. And it's really, that's not, yeah, honeymoon. That's not wonderful. But first you have the honeymoon phase and then you have the culture shock. And that's really where you go down the drain. That's where a lot of the family cohesion issues have the, you know, domestic violence where a lot of the trauma happens and people are very, very stressed out. Um, you, this happens not only to refugees, this happens to anybody who lives in different parts of the world for longer than, you know, six months, that you'll go through this phase also. That's very common. And then you kind of become normalized. You start getting adjusted and you realize that, you know, there's ways that you have power and autonomy in the system, even if you don't understand it.
0: So you're preparing this guidebook mindful that all members of the family are using it so is that are those voices coming out intentionally in there in
1: this guide yes so we wanted so we're doing an app and a website also yes um, but we wanted to make sure that the families first have it in the uh in a printed form and also visual because a lot of uh the women do not have access to the to the electronics for whatever reason you know i mean if the husband is a breadwinner and he needs a phone for work, then it's going to be a little bit more challenging to buy, you know, some, a few smartphones and then accessing all kidding. the websites and everything. So it, it it's you not get just a plan.
0: You got a cell phone it, plan. Exactly. How many phones? I mean, it's,
1: well, you need social security and you need a credit. So that's another zip, zip, big zip. problem. Um, in that, I mean, I would say just to, just to lift up something that, you know, is the biggest problem oh, I please. would say in refugee work in Southern California in San Diego or here is housing. The way it's a problem for us um housing is the most difficult right now we have different um refugees that are living there's one apartment complex i'll give you an example in westminster and the owner lets refugees come in which is a plus so you know to, I a, guess, point. Uh, to a point but the cost of rent so this is westminster so it's not exactly the bastion of, you know, vacationing in, in California. It's not West LA, it's not Santa Monica. And apartments run about two thousand dollars. Wow. And so because they don't have a credit. Right? That's so right. just down the street where I, you know, we're around where I live in Garden Grove, it's fourteen uh fifteen hundred, fourteen hundred, sixteen hundred, right? So they're paying two thousand dollars for a two bedroom apartment. Well, you are you have some refugee resettlement money, but how are you gonna pay that on a sustainable basis? How many people have to work? So Really, it's it's the the in, the injustice of this uh, of this apartment complex. It's it's very crazy, actually, that how much they're charging, and they are saying, well, it's because you don't have any credit. So, th- it's a cycle. So, what I think what needs to happen is we have to really build relationship with apartment owners, and with housing. Re-
0: yeah, I was hoping we could get to that. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's really the the issue. That's that is, uh, and I hope that uh, Orange County Refugee Resettlement Agencies and Southern California can actually work together to find some kind of housing policies and we have the homeless, you know, issue and the homeless encampments. So it's obviously an issue for everybody. It's getting much more expensive and especially with gentri- right? gentrification, it's getting even worse. Yeah. And so it's it's not it's not easy time right now for anybody. I understand that. For refugees who don't have any credit, that's even harder. Uh, because you know, it's hard for somebody to vouch for you and sometimes uh, in like w- in uh, Cinnamon Creek, this apartment complex, they don't even allow co-signers. So it really doesn't.
0: So no, no place of worship. No, nobody can. Civic organization can do. Well, they don't
1: take cosigners, so it doesn't matter if you have you know. Bill Gates saying that you that they'll pay for you if you default on a on a rent. They don't take them, which makes them able to control the situation a lot better and just say that no, we're going to charge this much because, you don't have any credit. So yeah, that that is the biggest issue. Um, and so then you imagine you're living in a house trying to integrate with culture shock. And now you have to live with a lot more people because of the cost of rent. So that's really helpful. So we have families, multifamily, you know, homes, high density populations. Further uh,
0: confounding for for, your ability to resettle.
1: Multiple families, right? So we have siblings maybe that live with their families. And so you have, you know, 10 people living in a two bedroom apartment um you know in places like Cinnamon Creek they say we'll just turn the other you know turn the other way but with that comes you know lack of services lack of fixing up parts of the apartment you know just a lot of a More slumlord cockroaches. yeah slumlord kind of behavior um it seems like Cinnamon Creek isn't doesn't have those like issues as far as maintenance but it does have this i would say injustice in how much it charges
0: well i wonder um you can let us know as we're drawing down the conversation here Where you talked about the app and the the website and all that, why don't you run by listeners where they can pick it up? And we've you've sprinkled throughout opportunities for people to step up and help, including now at the end Mm -hmm. where the housing advocates that can be involved with marshaling more apartment owners to Mm -hmm. contribute to the stock of the for the refugees to resettle in. Tell us about where people can pick up this guidebook and what forms and that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: so you and crowd
0: source any additional things for iterations later on
1: yes yes so you can go to on my website activatelabs.org or the refugees and you could email us from there if you'd like to order some we're right now we're really working under um a funding limitation and so we were funded for 200 copies and now we just got another so you're holding the older version i'm holding the newer version <laughs> and um as you can see we changed the coil and we're doing updates all the time yeah
0: that- that was a good idea. I just yeah. noticed that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we're we we're we're updating different different sections and adding we added domestic violence. We added some other sections that were still in process. And so we have people like add radio stations or we have Anaheim City who wants us and hopefully we we it fin- wants us to add sections like uh, maintenance and how to how to, you know, water is good to drink and these kind of things. So anyway, you can definitely uh, buy buy you could you know come to our website and and get it from there. Um, The app and the website will be in a different form, so it's not going to be something you could download. You know, it's going to be something that you'll use on the actual platform. But um, one, one thing I think in the time of uh, Trump, I would say that right now, uh, standing up for our uh, immigrant and new American communities is how you can help the most. We went to the travel ban. We went to the airports um, because the family was stuck there. And you know there was there was hundreds of people out asking for the travel ban to be ending. So now we have DACA. You know our communities are facing a lot of a we lot just of Just have it this
0: morning if for those who haven't heard on the radio over the news platforms that Attorney General Sessions has just started the and the disheveling of yep, DACA. Exactly. In various so, forms. So
1: fighting hate is definitely going to be a bigger narrative issue, like coming out to marches and, and talking, but also, as you say, with policy issues, right? So how to communicate to people who own apartments. If you know somebody who owns apartment who has housing, how to tell them who refugees are, that they're fleeing war, they're not violent people. The they're, vetting that they've the, gone through. The That's vetting, the biggest thing. Yes, 18 I think, to myth. 22 months of vetting. They're, they're people that want to just live a peaceful life and, and settle here after they've been vetted. Um, and they fled war. They're not bringing in war. And so I think advocating for refugees and new Americans, whoever they may be, whether they have the status or not, is doing a service. Um, and, and through housing or even through medical, there's a lot of ways to advocate. I think the
0: purpose this guide can serve is to have a huge forum, hold a forum, and go through the guidebook. Take Hmm. it to on the road, and as it demonstrates what the confounding issues are for refugee families. Read sections that, uh, like what we were that you read for us. Thank you again Mm. for that. And sort of let this be the dog and pony of the refugee profile to give nuance, because nuance has been dead for about eight months or Mm. longer. But Mm. give nuance to and flesh out. More Because when I went to the Politicon in Pasadena, that was my easiest way of getting very conservative people at, turning out at that event. I just, all I did was ask them if they'd ever met anybody from Syria or Afghanistan or El Salvador or Central America, mm-hmm. I said, generally speaking. No contact at all. So I think this guidebook is a public forum in and of itself to go through it step by step so people have a, a deeper appreciation and they don't gloss over that uh, some people are just coming with a trunk and starting a life, going honeymoon and for, you know, into five years and it's only a month. So yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned idea. that. Yeah. I think
1: us, us learning about people that are different than us and getting in contact and um, just seeing the human in each other is the first step for sure. Um, Before we met March and before we do policy, I think it, our hearts have to be transformed and changed. And so, yeah, you could contact us. Uh, my email is Monica at org, And we have the Arab American Civic Council and uh, ActivateLabs.org. You can go to any of those uh, websites and we'll be happy to connect you with refugees if you want to get to know. Um, we do refugee dinners. We do iftars. Yeah, we do a lot of right. this uh, more human to human uh, peace building work.
0: Monica, I want to thank you and thank Rashad in his absence for all of the having lifting in this, both setting aside the time for today as well as uh, producing this a major, major piece. Thanks so much, Monica. Thank you very much for having us. That was Monica Quirka, co-founder of the Southern California organization Refugees Welcome and uh, co-project managers of the, the guidebook the definitive guide for recently arrived refugees to LA, OC, Riverside, and San Bernard counties. We'll be right back with Dr. John Peng, Chief of Water Quality Planning at Orange County Public Works Re- Environmental Resources. Don't go away. Dreamer,
2: dreamer. like a fool I thought that it could be. Dream on, dream on, surely someone will understand me.
0: Thanks for staying tuned. That was Etta James Dreamer for all the obvious reasons. Welcome back to the show. Once again, Applied Innovations. Sustain OC put on an edifying workshop last Tuesday, this time, Water Solutions 2, Tech, Innovation, and Trends. And I'd like to tack further on those themes with my next guest, Dr. Jian Peng, Chief of Water Quality Planning at Orange County Public Works Environmental Resources, who represents stormwater agencies in a number of public forums, committees, an advisory board, and stormwater-related research and education projects. He served on the Organization Committee of the 2016 International LID, that's the Uh, low-impact development conference in Beijing and organized technical sessions workshops and seminars at five different cities as the vice president of the southern california chinese american environmental protection association he's been involved in sino-us collaborations on environmental issues at local regional and national levels hooray by collaborating with universities research institutes and governmental agencies on both sides of the pond the pacific ocean pond he's also interested in sponge city watershed planning flood control and water resources issues he's taught a year at environmental engineering at cal state fullerton university he completed his bachelor's of science in environmental geochemistry and english at i'm going to fail zhang Zhejiang, Zhejiang, University. Zhejiang University, his Master's of Science in Organic Geochemistry at the University of Science and Technology of China, and his Ph.D. in Marine Geochemistry at USC. He joins me in studio today to talk about the newest projects in dealing with stormwater in our drought-parched region. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Dr. Ping.
2: Thank you for for this. This is quite a introduction. Thank you.
0: Uh, well, it's, but it's all you. In the old days, not that long ago, stormwater runoff was engineered for rapid removal and eventual discharge into the nearest surface water, whether it was a retention pond, a lake, a river, or the ocean. Now, Southern California stormwater recapture is more the scheme, reusing this increasingly scarce resource through retrofitting uh, systems in low-impact development. So when Dr. Peng, did the engineers and public agencies realize that the stormwater runoff needed to be looked at at a different way?
2: Um, That should go back to probably 1970s when the the Clean Water Act has seen its first 15 years. The issue was, you know, at that time, the stormwater in the urban and uh, other areas have been you know, treated as a non-point source. That means the Clean Water Act actually doesn't have a jurisdiction.
0: Okay, so it's point sources when they come out of a pipe, right? Yes. And the, the non-point sources are diffuse. D- yes. So
2: it could it could be, you know, from a uh, agriculture land or from the uh, cityscapes and uh, other places. So then gradually people realize that uh, especially for the cityscape, uh, city landscape, there are more and more Pollutant coming from this area, and uh, there's no jurisdiction, or the Clean Water Act, or the r- regulators don't have a way to regulate them. So, in 1980s, early 1980s, there there was a research by National Research Council to you know really look into the pollution caused by the urban runoff. So. That's what uh, prompted a revision of the Clean Water Act at uh, 1987, which actually changed the stormwater runoff from the city to a point source. So that make a big difference in that you know now it's being regulated by the right. Clean Water Act and uh, major major. Yeah, for the cities and counties and uh, you know other places we are required to actually deal with uh, stormwater pollution. So this, I think, is the driver for us to actually look into the stormwater, how we can uh, manage the pollution of the stormwater. Then by doing that, we more and more realize that, uh, you know, water quality of the stormwater is just one of many aspects of how we can deal with this issue, meaning that we can actually also look at how we can use stormwater as a resource. At the same time, when we deal with uh, water quality issues.
0: So capturing it both addresses how the water quality can be engineered as well as directed to a a recharging of the the groundwater. Yes. uh, So let's talk about the Orange County Glassell location. It's a sort of a demonstration project, I guess, care of the Prop 84 dollars. Yes. that is now that's sort of the model, and we do lots of visuals on this radio show, and you can lead us around what this facility is doing with its various features.
2: Sure, I'm very excited about this project, and uh, this project was um, started actually as, ba- as far back as 2009, when we thought about applying for the Prop 84 money to retrofit for our uh, three-parcel campus in, uh, at Glacell in City of Orange. The reason was so, that.
0: Excuse me. So, how large is that? So, we can get an, a scale of it's the. It's like, kind of
2: small. Like it's a 10 acre campus, t- it's 10 three acre. parcels, okay. so okay. mostly industrial and uh, office buildings. It's the um, uh, satellite headquarters for Orange, Orange County Public Works.
0: Okay, and so to speak to what's on the facility, and, and people can take a look at it. You do show people around, Of course,
2: right? yes. That's okay. actually my favorite part. Uh, you know, until <laughs> now, I've shown more than uh, 40 groups of people, more than 300 people. So that's a part of our work to actually spread the word that the stormwater capture and reuse is a thing that we everybody needs to uh, pay attention and work on it.
0: So you've got the the drains. Let's talk about those, the drains, uh, the the captured the biofilters the polishing system cisterns Yes. Well, tell us about all that
2: so the the reason why we do this is to actually demonstrate all kinds of uh, low impact development features including um, biofilters bioswales cisterns both above ground and underground we have uh, tree boxes and all kinds of uh, stormwater features so that you know we can actually in a small uh, campus like we have demonstrate all type of uh, low impact development features and uh, not only how to construct it, but also how they perform in terms of cleaning up the stormwater and also reuse the stormwater for irrigation and other purposes.
0: So for people to understand about biofilters, those are plants that can p- take up some of the toxics that are in the, the stormwater runoff?
2: Biofilter is a little bit uh, more than just a plant. It right. actually has a, you know, both physical, biological, and uh, hydrological features. So the physical feature is that it is a uh, mostly a depressed area where we can guide water to it. So it has a plant on the top, mulch, and then the filter media in the middle. We have a under drain to drain access water. But also, you know, the, the water we drained actually has been cleaned up, so we can use it for groundwater recharge and other purposes.
0: So it's a, it becomes a clean water that's recharging, or well, either being retained or recharging for at a, at a lower level in there. And yes. When, and I want to guess that when you talk about this as low impact, low impact also signaling it's, it's a lower budget item, too. This is within our, our reach of being able to afford to do a lot of this on a much broader scale.
2: Yes, for the most part the low impact meaning that when we do our, you know, human development of the environment, we try to minimize or offset all the <laughs> at impact at this late we date. Have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for stormwater it means the both quality and quantity. You know, we try not to disturb the natural cycling of the stormwater. So in terms of the cost, it doesn't quite apply to our project because we try to use it as a public education and research right. center. So we put uh, extra money to build different types of uh, demonstration features so that people can learn right. and uh, do research on it, including uh, UC Irvine.
0: Exactly, exactly. For those of you who've just joined us on Ask a Leader, Dr. Jiang Peng is my guest. He's chief of water quality planning at Orange County Public Works Environmental Resources, talking about the Glacelle Campus Stormwater Low Impact Retrofit project, courtesy of Prop 84, and any other funding, I guess, that, that, that can be coming. So, But you were saying that it's more expensive at the demonstration project because you don't have sort of the maximum sort of advantage of one given larger system, low-impact system there. You're showing lots of little systems, so that's it's a little bit different than if somebody was to take up one of those technologies on there. And so tell us about who the owners are, if this is taking, you're, you're targeting residential owners or the businesses, institutional landowners, who's all are you trying to get on board with you?
2: Well, the county owns the, the campus. The target audience actually is everybody. Because oh, you know, when we talk about uh, how to deal with uh, stormwater, it means you know, for every landowner, you know, if you own a house or even if you're a renter, there are things that you can do to actually improve the like? how you treat the stormwater. Okay. You know, you can have a rain garden, you can disconnect the downspout, you can do a lot of things to minimize the pollution and stormwater runoff. But our target is, you know, including uh, the individual public, but also the stormwater managers. So that's why, you know, we have uh, you know, one of the reasons we built this project is to use it as a education base for stormwater managers because we host meetings for all the city's stormwater managers, including other counties because we have collaboration with them so that they can see how our project does in terms of improving the uh, stormwater quality and also reduce the runoff.
0: Well, I actually want to ask if it also you benefit from the fact that the Orange county water district managers are, really recognized around, not the region, not the country, I think worldwide, for being such progressive resource manager. So that must help anything that you're uh, advancing.
2: Yes, Orange County Water District manages the water uh, groundwater basin for Orange County. They also have this groundwater replenishment system, which is the world famous, I think the number one in the world. So we have collaborations with them. And uh, the, the way they deal with water and water resource is our model as well. So they are one of the many collaborators with us on this project as well. So
0: Orange County, when you go to all those conferences and you're collaborating everywhere, they, all, they know.
2: They know. They I'm know. very proud. Uh, even though I you know I'm not personally uh, with Orange County Water District, but uh, you know I know the folks there, and I've been there many times leading different delegations to visit their water replenishment system.
0: So I think that's just a pitch for some of the kind of vigorous, progressive, I don't know if paternalistic captures it, but I remember in the days where there was some grumbling about like with the tertiary uh, water treatment and all that kind of a thing that there, there was some grumbling about whether this was too aggressive and too expensive, but all every political capital that was put into invigorating and, and institutionalizing that is paying off all over the place.
2: Exactly. I think for Orange County uh, Water District's groundwater replenishment system, that's a very, you know, when they actually built it, they had excellent foresight because there are a lot of... Uh, resistance and uh, because of the, purely because of the lack of understanding and also the circumstance. You know, at that time, people are not so pressed as, you know, by the water resource issues like we had now and during the drought. So when we actually are faced with that issue, people are saying, wow, look at what uh, Orange County Water District has done. You know, that's so forefront and uh, it is actually a model for everybody including you know places like singapore and other parts of the world
0: so the seed money is coming from uh, prop 84 are, are there is there additional funding that's going to give sort of a c- critical mass to building on this whole yes movement
2: prop 84 gave us 2.9 million dollars uh, m- money to actually build this project but county chipped in 1.7 million dollars of our own money to complete the project
0: okay fine so I'd like to know, um, so who are the contractors? Are there businesses ready, standing by, to take your call for installing some of these low-impact
2: development systems? So, you know, this is still a work in progress for the construction companies who uh, did the project for us you know i tried not to give out their name because they're you know uh, just for we're still working on it with them to finish the project but um, i think there is uh, some progress to be made uh, this is exactly one of the reasons why we do this project because the construction maintenance and uh, monitoring of this low impact development features are still a work in progress despite decades of uh effort we have put in
0: okay Uh, but there are you training though some contractors though in the demonstration it's not just the the beneficiary the uh, i want to say the the landowners but there there have to be engineers that are trained i mean oh yes yes so the
2: training takes in many forms including the standards how the you know different buildings should be built in terms of how to make them stormwater friendly it's a little bit different from the traditional way of doing construction and for all the other low impact development features, you know the construction actually is uh, quite new so people need okay. to learn, including the contractor who did wow. the project for us.
0: Isn't there a little irony in that? learning learning back to, to previous yes. practices. Yes. So how can people line up a as we wind this down a, a tour of this and how they can follow your progress and learn more about these projects?
2: so they can either go to the website it's uh, a www.ocwatersheds.com there is a link to this project um i actually personally constructed that website so take a look at the information and uh, there is also a video to give you an overview but you're always welcome to contact us and arrange a tour i'll be likely personally lead a tour
0: okay oh great i'm actually really ready to do that so i think with Houston, there's a problem on our minds. That 53 inches of rainwater in—I don't know if it was two days or three days—I lost track. But that that kind of runoff situation is just would clobber any system. Nothing there's—we can't afford to build something that retain that. So, what just the way this low-impact design works? sort of just what kind of a rain event can it manage in a sort of a realistic sort of scale on any parcel
2: yeah for our project we we're designed to deal with a two-year storm okay, so that's just not much uh, that's about 0.85 inches oh, okay so nothing compared to houston which is a 500 year storm so you can only see it once Every five hundred years. Well, that's
0: changing. Those all of those formulas are changing with climate change. Yes, we're rethinking that five hundred year. It's going to five month.
2: (laughs) I don't know, but it is very very rare event.
0: Yes, rare and and increasingly. Yes. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Doctor Chomping, for coming to Ask a Leader today and fill us in on this. And we'll put on the podcast summary all of these links so people can follow what you're doing and. Uh, take tours, ask good questions, and, uh, you know, see what they can uh, do it to take to their neighborhood associations, to their parcels that they own, uh, investors, and I mean, uh, anybody, anywhere.
2: Sure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you very, very much. Let's see. Here we go.
1: Stop that
0: That's my wrap. Next week we'll hear from Claudia Arellenas. She's a downtown family owner and bus- and treasurer of the San Ana Business Council and playwright Rachel Bonds whose play Curve of Departure will be performed at the Argyros Theater at the South Coast Rep. We'll talk with you next week. And thanks for listening. <laughs>
1: qui disent qu'ils sont tout le temps dérangés par les busqueurs qui viennent
0: chanter